Hey guys, it's Pastor Bill. I want to share a couple of thoughts with you before this week's message. The first I'd like to share is that we think it's really cool that we can provide this online delivery of our sermons, and we pray that God uses them uh, in any way He would like to use them. But we also have a strong belief that it's important for every person to be involved in a local church. And so I want to start off by saying if you're involved in a local church, man, that's awesome, and we hope that you're, uh, you're blessed by what you're about to experience. If you're not involved, we want to make sure that you know that we'd love to have you join us any Sunday. We meet at Highland Middle School at 10 a.m., and the truth is there's so much more that happens besides the preaching of a particular message that you will miss so much if you only listen online. So we'd love to have you join us. The second thing I wanted to share this week in particular is that we had a couple of folks who stepped up to share their stories during the service. And we thought it was really important that we share that. What we've done is put it on the end of the message this week. So if you stick around after the message, you'll get to hear their stories, and I'm sure they're going to be a great blessing to you like they were to us. With that being said, I hope that you are greatly blessed by the message this week. To honor God and, and, and really honor one another when we're together. So, And I always say as far as the babies, you know, we are Family Bible Church. So, What family doesn't have some babies in it, right? Um, so anyway, we're going to spend a few weeks now talking, uh, talking about um, families. And, you know, I, I was up here and I was kind of amazed, as dumb as it sounds, because when we started to share, started to hear the stories and started to listen... You know, last week we, I had some folks say, that was really hard. I just sit and listen to people. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? You know, you guys listen to me every week. God must help you with that, right? And they, they go, well, we don't listen to you, actually. <laughs> this is my nap time. I have an uncle who's, uh, who's the father of a pastor. And, and he said, uh, he, said he, would, he, would, he was famous for falling asleep in the back of church like this and snoring. And whenever his son would yell at him, because his son was the pastor of the church, he would say, I'm communing with the Holy Spirit. That's what he would tell him. So anyway, yeah. Uh, so I got Uncle Chuck to thank for that in my mind now. So if you're sleeping, I'm like, hey, you're spending time with God. That's cool with me, you know. Um, but, but seriously, last week, we had, I know it was, it was hard for people to share. What's the, the, the biggest fear, people say, is to stand up and speak in front of people. But you know what's funny is it's hard for the folks who are being spoken to to listen right? It's pretty hard to do that too. So, and we're going to spend the next six weeks, we're going to do something totally different for me anyway, here at Family Bible Church. Um, God's had this burden on our hearts and on my heart, and uh, I talk about other people and they, they go, yeah, I feel the same way. I sense the same thing. Um, for families, and it might sound silly because you go, of course, everybody cares about families. Well, yeah, I mean, I know that. Everybody cares about families. But there's a real burden that we have Right now, that there's a time in our, in our society, in our culture, in our town, in our community, in our church, where families are just under so much stress. And I know I'm at that age, personally, where I guess everybody says life gets really, really busy. But you know, I look at couples who are a lot younger than me, and they're really, really busy. And I look at couples who are empty nesters, a lot older than me, and they're really, really busy. And uh, this isn't going to be like a diatribe on busyness, like don't be busy, because that just doesn't seem practical in so many ways. But rather what we're going to do is we're going to spend, so I've been praying over this for a, a long time. You know, God, give us something to, to dig into with family, some, some real tools we can use, some, some, some truths from your word that, that are more than just a theological, you know, thought, more than just a way that you can argue to someone about why God is or isn't real, right? I mean, who God is. Give us something, Father, that we can use, that we can live into, that we can, we can dwell in, and that will transform us. But not because we thought up something cool to do, but because your word reveals it. And so that's been my prayer for a while, and, and uh, I just bring this all up because this, we're going to start the six-week series, and it's a whole new thing for me, um, because uh, I didn't think this up. I mean, this was something that I came across, and God kept, you know, God keeps putting stuff in front of you. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this, you know? And, and I started to pray over that, and I'm like, man, this is, we need to hear this. And I can tell you already, I'm, I'm hoping that when you come on a Sunday morning, you come with an open heart, open mind, and ready to, to, to listen, not to Bill, not even to Dan and the band, but, but to God and what he is saying to you. I hope you come sometimes willing to listen to each other. Maybe here in that, what God is saying to you. And so we're going to talk today, uh, uh, the first week of the series is, is about how, uh, how strong families know each other. I, I want to be very clear in how, I, how important I think this is. I see families just falling apart right now. 
And you know, if you know my story, you know I'm a child of a divorced home. And so that's a really hard, one of the things that Chris and I talk about as a couple is we, we, our passion is to change our family tree, to, to, be, to be the couple that's old together. To be the couple that when the kids leave the house, we still have a relationship together. We tell our kids all the time, or I do, I, I say, I loved her before I met you. And I'll love her when you're gone. By God's grace, that's been true in our lives. I'm not here to brag about us because it ain't about us. The truth of our marriage is that God has been redeeming it. And God has been shaping us through this promise we made in front of him. And so that's my prayer for us as families, that, that we would allow God into that space, into the real place of life over the next six weeks. And here's my commitment. If you will go there, I will go there with you. I mean, I'm going to go there, whether you go there or not, really. And, and I will say, too, that don't think that you can check out, like, well, this isn't going to be for me, because if you're in a family, and I have 100% certainty that every one of you are, because you're breathing, right? This applies to you. This applies to you. Our prayer is that by the end of this six weeks, you will have become a better family member. You will have become a better family member because of the things that God is going to teach us together. So that's my hope and that's my prayer. And uh, I want to start now uh, as we, as we kind of dig into the word today and, and, and uh, share in it a little bit. I want to start by, by once again talking to God, just a simple, simple conversation. So join me if you would in prayer. Father, even by your name that Jesus taught us to say, we claim that we're your family. And Father, you know in those intimate times of our life, that's where the hardest work is done. And so today, we pray that all distractions would fall away. We pray that we could have a mind attuned to your truth and a heart open to receive it, that you would reveal yourself to us and your plan for our lives. And that in this next hour, that you would really reveal yourself Challenge us, we need to be challenged. Encourage us, we need to be encouraged. And draw us closer to you and your purpose and your plan, your intent for our families. We love you and we thank you. We pray we are part of your solution rather than the problem. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, so I don't know if, you know, I don't know how much time you spent thinking about relationship stuff, you know. I, I don't know. I know, I know when you're young, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, you start out with that whole, like, you know, girls are gross, boys are disgusting, you know what I mean? And what's really funny to me is how quickly that the boys are disgusting turns into, that's kind of cute when he does that, you know. Um, that never fails to amaze me because as an adult, I'm like, that's disgusting. I can't believe we actually, any of us actually ever got a girl to like us, right? And... And there's the same thing. It seems easy when you're young. You just rush into relationships. You know, you just kind of go, you know, right in there. But for others, as you journey together in your relationships with your spouse, probably primarily your girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, your parents, you start to realize there's some struggle or some strain. And the thing that we hear over and over again, if you ever go to any type of um, counseling or any, any kind of um, a marriage retreat or... Um, Parenting, you know, uh, if, if you send your, your kid to counseling, the counselor will want to talk to your parents usually, you know, talk to the parents, what's going on, because it's a systematic, a systemic problem going on there. But usually, at some point in your time, they will say this, communication is the key. You know, wh whether, they, whether they believe some of the things that we believe about Jesus, they will say, communication is key. You have to learn to communicate more effectively. That's what that is. I, uh, I, I remember there's this, there this old school preacher, you know, I had the blessing whenever I was young, I told my Uncle Chuck already today, I had the blessing that whenever I was younger, I would get to go in to, to listen to different pre uh, preachers. Uh, they were the only Southern Baptists uh, in, our, in our family. They were the only Protestants in our family, actually. And they would, I'd go along with them, you know, they'd say, hey, you want to go to church? I'd like, all right, sure, you know, I'd go. And, and this one time, uh, this, there's this lesson I got from this pastor, which is, always reminds me of... Uh, what sticks, right? And I'm going to share with you today because I hope it sticks. I hope it sticks. Uh, so there's this, he's told a story. He says, there's this, uh, there's this lady who's having a, having a really bad day. 
and, and she's driving up this road, and she's just at the you know end of a rope. She has had enough. She's kind of driving crazy, and, and some guy comes by and he slows down and rolls down the window and he says, "Cow," like that, and, and she has just had enough, and she rolls down her window and she goes, "Pig," and she floors it and goes around the corner and she hits a cow. Right? And you go, well, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. I, I could see. Listen, communication is two ways. We say things, but people hear things, right? If you've ever had that conversation where you've broken through with somebody and you go, that's what's going on. It's a communication issue. And, and in that way, that, that simple little story, as a young man, I heard that story, and it always stuck with me that communication is key. And then it's not just what we say that matters, it's how we hear that matters. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying it's what we say and they hear, it's what we hear that matters. And this becomes a truth that... Um, that can really change how we function as human beings with one another. Uh, uh, we've had conversations here on an ongoing basis at Family Bible Church about, you know, who we are, what we're about, and stuff like that. And we always ask for comments. We say, hey, give us some feedback. And one of the consistent pieces of feedback that we've heard from folks, I mean, I'm talking over years, not just like a few months or a few weeks or whatever, is this. Um, there, there's a failure to communicate. And we're like, Really? There's a failure to communicate. And we think, well, what does that mean? Because we feel like we're communicating, right? We try to communicate. And as we dug into it a little bit, what we started to discern together is that people were saying, and this isn't one person or this is oh, several people are saying, I'm not being heard. Right? In other words, Whenever I heard failure to communicate, I thought, well, let's talk more. We'll talk more and more and more and more. But when you really sit down with somebody and they say there's a failure to communicate, they start to share their heart, and you realize that they're not being heard. That's what the problem is. Speaking of hearing, you guys hearing that noise? What is that? Is that me? Fair enough. I just want to make sure it wasn't me doing something wrong up here. That's usually the case. I don't know what's going on. All right, so we're, so, uh, we're going to pray that right out of the room. Come on, God, fix that. All right. So, but there, that's the problem. There's a fundamental disconnect. I want you to open your Bibles today. Uh, this is a story you've heard before. It's in the Gospel of John. And if you didn't bring your own Bible today, you can look in one of ours. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the loading crew asked me a couple weeks ago, and I forgot to do this. They said, tell folks that if they don't have one of theirs, they can have ours, the little blue and green Bibles in the chairs. If you don't own one, take it out here. Nobody's going to stop you and say, hey, what are you doing with that Bible? You can have it. Uh, we have plenty, and so I'd encourage you to do that. We're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. This is what the word shares with us. That's what we hear. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Now his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, and wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam. We'll go with that. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Now, some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now, when, how were your eyes opened, they asked, they demanded of him. And he replied, this man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And then he sent me 
told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. And, you know, I've looked at this passage quite a few times, and it's one of my favorites. I say it about most of the Bible, if you haven't noticed. It's really true. I'm not just saying it. But I've looked at this passage, but one of the things that I've not seen in here before, ironically, right, is the conversations. What's happening? And there's kind of three distinct conversations happening in this passage. The first conversation is the conversation the disciples are having with Jesus, right? And the second conversation is the conversation that the neighbors are having about this man who was born blind. And the third conversation is the conversation that Jesus is having with the man. And they're quite different conversations. I want you to look at the first question in the text today. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, that means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? That question in and of itself states a lot about the hearts of the disciples of Jesus. When they see the man sitting there, they aren't thinking about his blindness. They aren't thinking about his condition. They aren't necessarily relating to him in any way except as an object lesson about God. I think we do the same thing sometimes with each other. We approach one another as if we are projects or something to be uh, figured out and put away. You know, a lot of times the labels we apply to one another are just that. They're labels that we can, we can put people in a box, just stay in the box because then we, we don't have to deal with you anymore. And the question that his disciples asked of this man who was born blind, I want you to get the image, begging, this is a common thing, isn't anything to do with the man. But the theological implications of this, Jesus, tell us. I want you to look at the neighbors. Look what they do. I've always thought, you know, my favorite part of this verse, I'm just going to get out of the way, is that, that this was made this way so that the glory of God might be revealed in him. That's, that, that's in my heart in this passage. That in every situation we don't understand, Jesus speaks here about this man born blind and says this was done that the glory of God might be revealed. And it was revealed. But I want you to look at what, what they ask the question. In verse 8, look at the question. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Right? I mean, here you've got a guy who was born blind, and now he can see, and you can imagine he's pretty excited about this fact. Can you imagine he's pretty excited about this fact? And the first question is, isn't this the guy that was born blind? And then they start an argument. Like, he's not in the room. That's not the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. He's not the guy. I've seen him. Who are these people? Look, they're neighbors of his. Look in verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him. You get the idea that this, this guy was like a fixture. He just got passed by every day. So much so that whenever he's healed, they don't even recognize him anymore. Isn't that crazy? Like they were just walking by him every day and all of a sudden like, that's that guy. And the other guy goes, that's not the guy. That's another guy. No, it's the guy. And you think, well, they're not doing this in front of him. Look at what he says. No, I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm right here. You guys are talking about me. And they're more interested in talking around him. Isn't that interesting? I want you to see the difference. The first conversation of the text starts in the first verse. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Do you know that Jesus, whom we follow, didn't walk around life with blinders on? He's the kind of Messiah that walks in a room and he sees every need. He sees every heart. When does it say that Jesus talked about the man? It doesn't. What's Jesus doing? He walks along and he sees the man born blind. And his disciples ask him, you know what that implies? That Jesus is already having a conversation with this guy. He knows him. And he's going to him. 
And on the way to the disciples, like, now wait a minute, before we get there, Jesus, let me ask you a question about who this guy is. Jesus sees him. The first thing that we're going to learn today from the word is that, that um, I went one too far there, that, that strong families pay attention to one another. That on the way, while people were talking about this man, Jesus was engaged in a conversation with this man. Do you see what I'm saying there? He wasn't ignorant of his surroundings. He wasn't ignoring the realities. He was walking right up and addressing them. And this is the kind of Messiah we follow, one who pays attention. You know, it's funny because the whole idea of paying attention, uh, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to say. Are you going to pay attention today? Are you guys going to pay attention? Hey, in class, pay attention, class. Right? We've all heard that. We've, we've had that kind of beat into us. Isn't it interesting that we have a, there's a cost associated with paying attention? That, that whenever, we, whenever we have to do this, it, it, it takes effort. Do you remember what we talked about last week when people were sharing? It was hard. It was hard to do that, to pay attention. It's hard even now, isn't it? It was hard to pay attention when that buzzing was happening, wasn't it? It's hard to pay attention when that soda machine's right. It's hard to pay attention whenever things are crazy. It's hard. And it costs something. But strong families pay attention to each other. One of the most devastating things that we see in, in any family situation are people who are caught unaware. I had no idea there was a problem. I thought everything was fine. I, I didn't know my kid even was struggling with that. I didn't know my parents were having problems in them. I, I didn't even know my wife liked I didn't know my husband thought that. I had no idea. Who are you? And the spouse or the kid or the parent says, pay attention. Strong families do this. And, and, uh, and we can do it too, but it takes effort to pay attention, to be like Jesus, to pay attention to one another. Another thing about uh, paying attention is, uh, if you've ever studied like conversation and stuff like that, 85% um, of conversation is nonverbal communication, right? All the time, body language, how you're paying attention. Are you leaning forward? Are you listening? And there's some real practical things you can do to pay attention. Sometimes, if you're like me, you have to try. You know, I've told some of you as a student, as a student I was set in the very front of the class, not because I wanted to be like, I'm in the front of the class, but because when I was in the back, I can't pay attention, <laughs> you know? I got ADD. I'm like, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, and I get like, F, you know, that's how that works. Do some things with your family that forces you to pay attention, date nights with your kids and nobody else. Leave your cell phone at home or in the car. Pay attention. There's ways we can do that. We have to do things on purpose to be able to pay attention to one another. Know what's happening in your life. This is the last thing, and then we'll move on to the next point. This is the last thing. I was thinking about courtship and marriage. I love, I love marriages. I'm not a big fan of weddings, <laughs> you know, because they get all the glory. You know what I mean? It's the wedding day. No, it's the marriage day, man. It's the first day of the rest of your life. Some of you guys go, yes, it was, <laughs> right? No, it's the best thing going. If you can get your marriage right, your life will be transformed, and I believe in that. And you know, one of the things I was thinking about is the difference between uh, when we get married, you know, guys who are hunters and gatherers, right? I'm going to tell you a real problem that we have. Once we've killed it and bagged it and taken it home, we're done, right? That's how that works. And you think about communication. I was even thinking about this and I said, you know, God's going to, I'm going to go there if you're going to go there. All week, God's just been turning me inside out with this deal with my family, with my marriage, and my wife. I'm like, oh, what are you doing, God? I don't want to go there. Because you start to think back whenever you were courting one another, right? Anybody got a new relationship going? How much time do you spend together? All of it, right? You can't, it's like those magnet things. You can't keep it apart. You can't keep them apart. I, I remember when we were young and in love, we would spend hours on the telephone. And that was back when telephones had wires on the wall, you know? 
And uh, you guys laugh, but it wasn't funny. It costs a lot of money to have a phone like that when you got a date, you know, you're dating a girl who lives a long way away. You know, it was like per mile or something. I'm not sure how that worked, but it was very expensive. And, and uh, I went to that because I, I stole my parents' money for that. But I was on the phone all the time. And you know what's crazy? We would talk about nothing. We'd just be on the phone. What are you doing? Talking to my girlfriend. I'm investing in our relationship. We used to go for picnics on the hill. Just any hill. We go for drives in the car. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we didn't care. And then we get married. We go like, oh, date night once a month? Are you kidding me? Oh, you know? Because as a guy, it's over. But listen, if you worked that hard to get her, if you worked that hard to get him, if you uh, loved each other that much to invest all that time, you can invest a little bit now to maintain your relationship. I hope that you do that. Pay attention. Pay the price. And if you can't, if you're like me and you struggle, say, God, help me with this. Because it ain't that you don't love your spouse. It's that you don't seem to have the time to pay to invest in your marriage or in your family or in your kids. Pay the price to pay attention and spend time together. The second question is this. second point is this. Great families ask great questions. Strong families ask great questions, right? And I'm going to flip back, and you don't have to. You can if you want to. If you're using our Bible, this won't work for you so well. But I'm going to use my Bible. I have one of these, right? And um, it's got the letters of Jesus in red. And I just want to point out a few things as we go through the book of John, the same gospel that we just talked from in chapter 9. Jesus, we always think of Jesus as a great teacher, but Jesus was a great question asker. Like, if you've never studied his questions, he's a great question asker. And this really rocked my world when I started looking at this this week. The first thing that we see Jesus say in the Gospel of John happens in John chapter 1, verse 38. After men start following Jesus, they were following John, they start following Jesus, his first, you know, spoken word is recorded to his disciples is this. What do you want? What do you want? It kind of sounds like they're nagging him to me. But his first question to those, listen, that he is going to die for is, what do you want? What do you want? And they start to follow him as rabbi, teacher, right? They start to pursue him. I'm just going to kind of, kind of slow, roll along there a little bit. I'm going to find the next spot. There's a, uh, there's a conversation that Jesus has with his mother at a wedding. And, and whenever she asks him to do a miracle, he says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? She's your mom, Jesus. <laughs> why shouldn't she involve you? He asked great questions. I'm going to skip ahead here. I'm literally just looking at these as we go through. You could do the same thing if you have, a, if you have this um, red letter version, right? Jesus, words in red. Check it out. In chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is sitting at a well with a woman, right? And, and they're there together and it's kind of awkward. It's a weird situation. And Jesus breaks the ice. And this is what he says. Will you give me a drink? He starts the whole conversation with a question. Now, you all know the conversation. It turns into theology and salvation and sin forgiveness and everything else. But it starts with a simple question that Jesus asks. Will you give me a drink? Let's do one more here. Jesus, in chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, he walks up and there's a man who's sitting beside a pool. And he, he's, he's uh, crippled and he's lame, it says here, and he's paralyzed. And Jesus' first words to this man are a question. And it's a famous one. It comes in verse 6. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus is a great question asker, right? And we can do the same thing we, we too often, and I think this is probably the failure of our scientific minds and our, you know, we're overeducated, I think, you know, we speak instead of asking questions of one another. We give each other answers that no one's asking the questions of. The truth is that we can ask great questions. I want to bring this right back around now out of the theology and into the family because this is where, it really, where we're going to really work on it over the next six weeks. And it's this, how can we ask great questions in our family I'll give Chris some credit here. One of the things that she's done a great job of with our kids and she's taught me to do is to not ask questions that can be answered with a yes or a no. 
right? I'm a great yes, no, I'm a guy, you know, you know. Is that your new book bag? Yes. You know what I mean? Well, whatever, you know. Uh, did you have fun today? No. I mean, that's the end of the conversation. I'm done, right? Good talk, Dad. You know, she says, ask questions. They have to respond. Avoid yes, no questions. Instead of, instead of um, um, is it a good day today? What was, what was the best thing that happened today? Nice follow-up question is, what was, what was the hardest thing that happened today? Great conversations you can have at the waning hours of the day, whenever the, quiet, the, the noise has finally died down, you know, you're tucking your kids in. Great, great pillow talk between a husband and a wife. We can ask great questions. Minimize yes or no. Second thing I thought of was to listen, obviously, to the answers. Don't ask questions if you don't want to hear the answer. If you don't want to hear the answer, why bother, right? But ask the question and then listen. And then you can ask about the answers. That's a great way to ask questions. So if you ask someone a question, they answer you. Ask a question about the answer they just gave you. Tell me more about that. How does, how does that work for you? What does that make you think? Pastor Hal Seed, uh, part of the material I was studying this week, and he says uh, five, there's five levels of communication, and I want to go through these real quickly because I think that there's a few that really struck me as like, wow, no kidding. He says there's five levels of communication, and these will identify in your life. The first is facts. Things that are identifiable, data, right? Um, how's, the, you know, how's the weather? That's a data question. Doesn't really engage us with one another. The second thing he says is, is questions about events. Did you see that game the other night? Because you're talking about a common experience, right? It engages a little more. Second level of communication. The third is about people. You know, you talk about someone else. I'm amazed how when we're having prayer time in any kind of a meeting, everyone is so willing to share prayers about somebody else. Usually somebody who ain't there. I got a friend, right? It's harder to talk about ourselves. The third level is people. When you talk about people, it engages us more so. The fourth level of communication is ideas. And, and, and I kind of balked this. I'm like, yeah, not really, right? Because you can say ideas like some people say, you know, the majority of people think. I want to reframe this to say the fourth level of communication is ideas that you hold to. Big I ideas. Like, I think this whole nursery situation is crazy. That starts a conversation. <laughs> I think, you know, whatever. I think, I believe. Start a conversation like that. Start talking about things that really matter. Times of crisis. Well, I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. That starts conversations. But you have to own that part. And the fifth level, he says, behind ideas, after, after uh, facts, events, people, ideas, is feelings. And this is kind of what Jordan was sharing earlier. You don't want to do that. But if you go to any kind of a, a, a retreat or something, if you're marriage, you're going to talk a lot about how you feel, right? And you're going to ask questions about how your spouse feels about something. This is the most intimate level of communication because this is in our heart. It's down here somewhere we can't even identify where it's at. It's that part that makes your stomach feel funny. It's that part that you don't want anybody to really get into. It's that soft spot. Talk about your feelings. Those are great conversations for a family to have. A great question is to ask, how does that make you feel? How do you feel about what's going on right now? Basically, the root concern in all of this, asking questions, isn't just to ask questions, but it's to know and be known. To know and be known by one another. It's the deepest longing that we have as humans. The next point this morning is, is that... Uh, uh, strong families know that love means listening. Love means listening. And I'm going to flip. Oh, actually, I'm going to just pop it up here. I put it up on, on the slide here. 
This is from the gospel. Uh, this is from the book of James, a letter of James. James is the brother of Jesus, right? And uh, he writes this book to the church. Now, James took a long time to come to faith because you know his brother was the savior, and that's a drag, right? Because you can follow somebody else, but your brother, you know, who wants that, right? And so, I mean, I, he really had a hard time coming to faith. James did, but when he came to faith, he he got this real faith, this genuine faith, this this pursuing God faith, this my brother Jesus is savior of the world faith, and he writes this. And one of the things he says to the churches is this. He says, take note of this, my beloved brothers. Every person should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Great families listen. Look at what it says. Every person should be quick to listen, slow to talk, and slow to anger. This will change your life. This will change your life. I have a hard time living there. Say that with me. It's quick, quick, or it's quick, slow, slow. Quick, slow, slow. Quick, slow, slow. Quick to listen slow to speak. Are you like me? Do you bump into somebody and they're talking and you're already thinking about what you're going to say? I, I, I can't, I can't listen. I, I got to have the right, I got to remember the words. These are important. They got to hear these. They got to hear these. No. You got to hear them. The brother of Jesus says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. These aren't things that we do well. And yet, Strong families listen well. I want you to remember that. Quick, slow, slow. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. Remember the nonverbal communications, right? I mean, this all matters. How we're engaged with one another. And if, if you walk up and you say, uh, someone's talking to you and you're having a conversation and then you start kind of going like this. Some of us are dense, and we don't get the cue. But you're telling that person, I'm done listening to you. Do we ever believe that that communication should be, could be the most critical point in that person's life? Could be. That another five minutes of your time could make a world of difference to that person who is dying to be heard. James says, be quick to listen. And the last thing, practical thing for a family here, and we're going to wrap it up, is that strong families communicate love through touch, right? We're doing FPU, Financial Peace University, in our houses on Tuesday nights right now, all about finances and getting your finances in order. That's really cool. I blew me away this week. One of the things that Dave Ramsey said was about touch, right? And he says that, he says, guys, your women need six non-sexual touches a day. And he says, look up non-sexual if you're a guy. Right? I won't go any further than that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole way, a lot of ways to get in trouble there. But I mean, but touch and not just spouses talking about kids. Touch. We talked before at nursery. Why we hold babies. And you're spoiling them. That's right. With love. This is what love feels like. We give hugs here. I got to tell you, when I came here, it was so hard for me to hug because I wasn't used to it. I was like, these people are weird. They're hugging me. And now I'm like, I can't wait to get to church to get some hugs. We know we're weird, but you know what I mean? Just, you'll, you'll adapt. Come on. It's important that we have touch in our families and touch in our lives. It's important that we shake hands when we see somebody. We give them a pat on the shoulder. We rub their shoulders when they're having a hard time. We give them a hug. Sometimes we'll just sit with our kids and hug them. And this is, gets awkward, doesn't it, Nathan, whenever you're too old for it? That's right. We do it. It's time for some cuddle time. Get ready. Here it comes, you know. Just touch one another. It's love. It's love. I'm going to show you another text here, uh, part of scripture, the gospel of Mark. Jesus, never mind that he just touched the guy who was born blind. This is another story about Jesus's ministry. And he says, a man with leprosy, now leprosy is a condition you can catch. This is dangerous stuff. A man with leprosy came to him and begged Jesus on his knees. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you know our savior, you know the story. Here's how it goes. 
filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. And he said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was cured. He was healed through touch. Now let's ask a theological question. Why did Jesus have to touch the man with leprosy? He didn't. But he did it. There's something in our humanity that matters. Do we need that touch with someone who loves us? If you want a strong family, touch them. If you want a strong family, go up and do the, I can't give massages. That was my excuse for a long time. I realize it doesn't matter. You just do this for a minute. It's cool. You feel like you're doing something important. They make funny noises when you do it. And I tell you, if you don't believe that it's a good thing, let somebody do it to you and you're like, oh man. After you're like, who are you? And you're like, oh, that's good. That's a little lower. Listen, you can find ways to do this. We have some challenges for this week. We're going to wrap up right here. We're going to ask the band to come back up. I'm going to, I'm going to go through uh, four challenges for you this week. You can take them or leave them if you want. You've got next steps in your car, but these are family challenges for you to think about. And the first is simple. It's to increase the number of touches you have with your family. Now, if you're away from family right now and you're homesick, touch other people appropriately. Okay? Just college students. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got, a, you got rules of Greenville, right? But... Just find ways, you know, shake the hand, do the double touch, do the weird thing, do the politician elbow grab, whatever you got to do. Make contact, give the A-frame hug to women, right, if you're a guy or guys if you're a girl. Find a way, do a sidle hug, but get contact. This week, increase your touches. Don't have to be, you know, 18 a day, could be, but just do, do that. First thing, increase the number of touches this week in your life. The second is set aside some time to pay attention. Just do it. One time. Just try it out. It's going to take some effort. Try to ask a good question of someone every day in your life. Ask them a good question. And then listen. And don't speak, but listen. And I have one more you can do right here today. When you leave this place today, you can ask one another, what did you learn? Not from me. What did you learn? How'd that strike you? What do you think about that? That's the challenge for the week. Pray with me, if you would. Father God, we, we so want to be more like you, more like your family and our family. And uh, we just thank you so much. Uh, we trust that you're going to do it this week and over the next six weeks. We pray that uh, you guide us to that place together. We love you and thank you. We thank you for Jesus who came to heal us touch us in that way. Let's give you praise and glory today, Father. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week we had a unique experience here at Family Bible where um, we kind of opened up. Not unique. Corey did it before whenever, he was, whenever I was out of town. And, but kind of sharing. And um, one thing that happened at the end of the service was that some folks came up and said, oh, I really wanted to share something. We ran out of time last week. So now, it's going to be limited. So if you were here last week and you're like, this is not my thing, bear with us a few more minutes, okay? But there's a few people that wanted to share, and I think that we should honor that. And uh, it's going to tie in perfectly today because that's how our God works. So we had a couple people. Now, last week, if you don't remember, the, the idea was kind of what has God been doing in your life or, or reveal some ways that God's been working, uh, things like that, struggles you've had or whatever. And so this is really kind of funny because last week we had a kind of a vibe and, and uh, these folks had said, I want to come back next week and share, but now they're kind of going cold turkey. So give them your attention for a few minutes. And I don't know who wants to go first. There's two gentlemen I spoke to. The first hand that I see, oh, look at Jordan's, he's on the mound. He's coming up. This is Jordan, right? You want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I'm Jordan Lambert. Lambert. Uh, I'm a freshman at Greenville. <laughs> yeah. Started. Uh, so you, you. Th this is Jay. It's my friend Jay. Jay, your friend Jay. My, my, good, my good buddy. <laughs> and you guys had a deal, right? Yeah. Last week, uh, uh, Jay wanted to speak, and I was like, "Okay, I'll go if you go," or kind of something like that. And so he was the first one, and then uh, I didn't hold up my end of the bargain last week, so it's my turn now. Um, 
I'm from a lot of places. Um, I'll try to keep it real brief, but um, most recently from Wisconsin and Arkansas. Uh, so before coming to Greenville, um, let's see if I can arrange this the right way. Uh, we'll keep it even shorter. Okay. Uh, I see Greenville as, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to plug for Greenville. Like, you got to go to Greenville, send your kids to Greenville or whatever. But uh, for me, right now, it's kind of a, uh, a new beginning, and I know you've heard that a million times. You know, it's a new beginning, start over, refresh, you know. Um, but, you know, I see it as, as a chance to, to start over and to, um, to start anew with things. And one way I see God doing that is uh, he's bringing uh, strong uh, men of God into my life. And for all you guys who have never uh, really gotten into a relationship, a fellowship with men, um, I would strongly recommend it. I think it's, it's vital to, to us as men and as women too. Um, but, you know, contrary to uh, what you see in my clothes, I'm a manly man. And, uh, and so to, to talk to a guy, you know, one-on-one is, you know, kind of tough for, kind of tough for me. But if you get, if, if you can get past that, if you can get past the, um, you know, the wall you built up, you know, I'm not going to share my feelings with a guy. Are you serious? That's what girls do. I'm not a girl. And, uh, <laughs> um, but get past that and get to the point where, uh, where you can share your struggles with one another. I mean, that's what the Bible calls us to do. And so you can share that burden um, and realize that the, the struggles you're facing and the fight that you're fighting against your sin or against uh, you know, whatever you're going through, that battle isn't yours to begin with because you know, we give it to God. And it's not ours to be fighting. It's you know, we say, you know, God, take care of this for me. And you know, he'll be faithful and he'll carry, he'll carry you through it. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, Jay spoke last week and he said... Uh, that when he first came to Greenville, he was, um, he was like, yeah, I'm all about God. And then he kind of went, sorry, then he kind of went into a, um, a slide down or whatever. Um, I'm kind of at that point where he was in the beginning, like, yeah, yeah, God, God, God. And uh, so I know there will be times of difficulty ahead. Um, so I guess uh, keep me in your prayers. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll keep fighting. And uh, I guess that's it for now. Who's next? <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. God has plans. I gotta tell you that. All right, who's who's else? Who else? Who else? I just want to make some people sweat it on the way over here, Dave. <laughs> well, I told myself I was gonna wing this, but Mary Jane typed up her thing last week, and I thought that's really a good idea. And now I don't even know if I can read it. But a couple weeks ago, you might remember Rick Scoggins talking about. Uh, men at the Cross seminar that a group of men went to. And I was one of the group of eight, and I enjoyed the event. I remember there being three main points that they talked about. Um, it was about, they talked to husbands, fathers, and disciples. What they said was that if you're, uh, if you're married, you need to do all you can to be a better husband. If you're a parent, you need to do all you can be to be a better father. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to do all you can do to be a better disciple. Since the Minute the Cross event, God has been pulling at me to practice some discipling by speaking of his activity in my life. And here goes. Looking at the last several years of my life, I found three milestones that have two things in common with one another. All three happened in the month of August, and God was in the center of all of them. There's really nothing special about them occurring in August. Maybe that was just God's way of directing my testimony. The most recent milestone was two years ago. I had been praying for God to give me a wife that I could love and spend the rest of my life with. He gave her to me an MJ. I thank God for MJ every day. I am very blessed to have such a wonderful person in my life. And if you're doing the math, last month was our anniversary. I love this woman very much. Another milestone happened uh, six years ago in August. I had suffered a stroke which left my left side paralyzed. I spent 15 days in the ICU 
followed by five weeks of test procedures, more tests, and physical therapy to relearn how to walk. While I was in a bed in intensive care with an intubation tube down my throat, I was told to many people that I didn't know who were praying for me, praying for my recovery specifically. Six years ago in August, I was discharged after seven weeks in the hospital. If anyone here was a part in those prayers, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Prayer does work. Milestone number three happened five years ago. I had been home for one year following my stroke. I was still working with therapists to get back to normal and it wasn't happening as fast as I wanted. Unable to work, my employment was terminated, depression set in, then my wife left me, not MJ. A darkness covered me, and I was very angry and I was sinking. I can't explain why, but I turned to a caring church pastor that was my, my children had introduced me to the summer before. He was very sympathetic to my situation. He shared Romans 10.9 with me and promised that Jesus loved me. But I said I wasn't ready for Jesus. I was disillusioned by a Catholic upbringing. Anyway, after two or three weeks of back and forth conversation, Don offered to find a Christian counselor that I could see. So do you know what the counselor's suggestion was? Jesus. I offered my weak argument that eight years of Catholic grade school with mass six days a week had soured me on church. But he said, forget all that. Jesus could lift my depression. Two days later, I called Don. Lance may remember this. Um, and told him I was ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Grace appeared and darkness has been gone ever since. I am so humbled and, gra and gratitude fills my heart for what God has done in my life. I give all praise and glory to him. Thank you for listening to my story. Uh, even though, you know, Dave shared a story with you guys, you guys and stuff, uh, you're an encouragement, even though, you know, it's so funny, because God uses it in every, every angle, because we've talked about you behind your back, Dave. All good. All good. I mean, just how God's moving and shaping, and so, praise God. Thank you for sharing, um, and uh, we're going to go ahead now, and we're going to release the kids to blast, and we're going to get into the Word together a little bit, and talk about what we're going to do in here, so... First through sixth grade can head back to the big room, right? That's the plan, yes? And the rest of us get to stay here. Um, by the way, I'll say a few things by way of uh, administration here. Um, we're pretty informal if you haven't noticed already. I know we're closing in the walls, explain what's happening there. Trying to make it a little more intimate, you know, to, to draw folks into this side of the room. We kind of have a tendency to spread out in this room seats like, I don't know, 500 people or something like that when it's all opened up. And uh, we just kind of wanted to build some intimacy. We also wanted to bring our nursery out here where people could kind of interact with the nursery workers and, and stuff like that. Um, so we have a few concerns, like that moms can still hear kids. That's not good if you're a mom, I know. Um, and so we're working on it. If you have ideas or input, we'd love to hear it. Uh, so just try it for a little bit and see what we can do. Um, 